0: Welcome to Suspending the Rules, the Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress.
1: The House has two more working weeks until the August recess, and this week plans to take up bills to authorize intelligence activities, raise the minimum wage, and repeal the Cadillac tax on employer health plans. They'll also vote on a resolution to hold Attorney General William Barr and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross in contempt of Congress. Welcome to Suspending the Rules from Bloomberg Government, I'm Danielle Parnas.
2: And I'm Michael Smallberg. This week's episode is going to focus on another topic altogether. The U.S. System of Legal Immigration. Last week, the House passed a bill to do away with per-country caps on employment-based green cards without controversy. But the debate over changes to legal immigration is ongoing, especially in the Senate. Here to discuss is Bloomberg Law immigration reporter Laura Francis and legislative analyst Adam Taylor. Thanks for joining us. Hi.
3: Hello.
2: Before we get to the broader debate, uh, Adam, can you tell us more about uh, the bill that the House passed last week?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bill that essentially eliminates the per-country caps on employment-based green cards. So the way it currently is, uh, there no more than 7% of the employment-based green cards can go to recipients from any single country. So it spreads those green cards around. This bill would get rid of them. It also expand the cap for family-based green cards. So if you're coming over to join uh, a relative here in the U.S., it more than doubles the cap on those, from 7% to 15% from any one country. It also sets up some transition rules for the fiscal 2020-22 to period to ensure that people who have already had their applications approved aren't sent back to the back of the line, essentially. And what this does is it really benefits workers coming over from India and from China. Those are where the biggest backlogs are. It doesn't change the total number of employment green cards, which is one of the criticisms against it, but it, it does address the backlogs from the two biggest countries that are sending people over.
1: And so this bill had a pretty strong bipartisan vote in the House. What did the debate look like?
3: So most of the debate was actually focused on the benefits of the bill. Most of the House members who were speaking on the bill, on the House floor, we're talking about how the workers who are caught in these backlogs—they're high-skilled workers. They're they're working in tech. They're doctors, really, uh, the the kind of worker that I think a lot of people in this country say that they want here from other countries. But the problem is that they could be waiting for I don't know somewhere from fifty to hundred and fifty years for a green card, which is ridiculous. Um, but that was most of the debate. There was. Um, One opposition speaker, that was Doug Collins, um, representative from Georgia. He's the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. And he actually didn't oppose the bill itself. He said that he agrees with the concept. But the problem was there was no committee hearing. There were no markups. There were no amendments. There was nothing. It just went straight to the House floor. And that was really his objection, that he was concerned that without that process, there were going to be unintended consequences.
0: And the the bill. Sponsor Zoe Lofgren, uh, she countered that, saying that this went through committee in a previous Congress and had enough co sponsors from both parties to make it onto the consensus calendar, which is new this year in the House. It's for, uh, we, we talk about suspending the rules, our podcast namesake, being for non controversial bills. The consensus calendar is for really extra non controversial bills that have a huge number of co sponsors from both parties, and they have to go work through those bills. And, and that's now begun. And this bill came off the consensus calendar. So Representative Collins' concerns uh, were, were mostly uh, overwhelmed by, by a bipartisan consensus on this bill.
1: Right. And, and the, the vote on passage was about 365 to 65, uh, yeah. you know, for those uh, following closely. So when we look to now what's happening in the Senate, it sounds like there's a different story there in terms of uh, how much support it has or, or what the issues are. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, the the Senate, they about a third of the senators are, have signed on to co-sponsors of the Senate version of the bill. So it's. It's not. It doesn't have the same level of support. Obviously, it doesn't have no support, but there there are some extra things going on in the Senate that might hold it up. Right now, you have a situation where Senator Rand Paul uh, publicly spoke to oppose voting on the bill as it currently stands, and it's. Um, there are some secret holds on the bill from both um, Republicans and Democrats, so it's hard to say when exactly it might move over there. It's not going to be the same smooth sail that we had in the House.
0: Yeah, in the Senate, the bill sponsor stood up to try to ask for unanimous consent on the floor to move it quickly and not have to use really precious floor time on it, because there's a lot the Senate has to do. They haven't passed any of their appropriations bills, and so being able to move things through unanimous consent is really how bills like this are going to move in the Senate. And Rand Paul, as Laura said, objected to it, which means if it's going to come to the floor, it's gonna have to be through some kind of floor debate that'll eat up some of that time. Now, with that Senate bill, um, Senator
2: Chuck Grassley has been pushing for some H-1B provisions to be added to that measure, right? What, what's going on there?
3: So th- there was actually a deal worked out between uh, Mike Lee, who's the chief sponsor of the bill, and Chuck Grassley. So the way that that is going to work is when the Senate considers the per-country cap bill, they would also consider a separate measure that would be basically increase enforcement of the H-1B program. And for
0: background, uh, the H-1B program is a temporary visa program.
3: Yeah, H-1Bs, they're temporary visas, but in a vast majority of the cases, it's actually the springboard to an employment-based green card. So there are some circumstances where you do go straight to a green card, but a lot of people, they start on H-1Bs, and then their employers start them on the process to getting a green card and they work on their H-1Bs while they're waiting for those green cards to be available. But for years and years and years, Grassley's issue has been there needs to be more oversight over the H-1B program. And there was a, a very similar per country cap bill that was kind of working its way through Congress back in the 2011, 2012 period. And he put a hold on the bill at the time for the exact same reason. So what happened with this bill is is, I think Mike Lee probably thought, okay, I'm going to reach this deal with Grassley, that's going to get this bill over the finish line, and maybe didn't anticipate that there would be some other voices that are objecting to it for other reasons entirely.
1: And so in any event, you know, if that Senate version did move forward, it would still need to be reconciled with the House version, which doesn't have the enforcement provisions um, before, you know, it could be signed into law. So there are still several procedural steps, correct?
0: Yeah, that's right. And and we could see some of these objections addressed in, in a final bill if we get to that point to Senator Rand Paul. One of his big concerns has been green cards for nurses who come over, mostly from the Philippines. This bill would essentially make Many nurses from the Philippines wait a lot longer for, for their, their green cards. Others want to see the number of employment-based green cards expanded, which would also address the backlog a little more directly than just targeting countries like India and China.
3: And the the thing about nurses too in particular is, um, as I said earlier, a lot of people work on H-1Bs first and then get their green cards. Nurses can't get H-1Bs. They're not eligible for the visas. So they have to come here on a green card in order to work here. And there are some estimates that with the per country caps gone, that means that nurses from all countries would have to wait an average of six, seven, eight years, something like that. And there's a real concern that A hospital isn't going to sponsor an immigrant nurse who can't start working eight years from now.
0: And to to Senator Paul's credit, I think, he introduced his own bill that that has the language that he would support. And what it does is it it also gets away of the the per-country cap and exempts certain types of visas from the green card cap altogether. So it wouldn't apply even to the worldwide limit on green cards. And these would be for jobs like nurses, for which there's not sufficient domestic demand. And that's that's his idea, and we'll see if that can get incorporated. I don't know what the prospects are for it at this point.
3: It's, it's going to be tough going. Um, right now, I don't think Congress or the President certainly is in a mood to increase visa numbers, and Rand Paul's bill would dramatically increase visa numbers. Um, I don't know if that's going to go very far, but it's certainly going to possibly spur debate, especially when he's the one who publicly objected to this other bill that's really, really getting some heavy lobbying from the skilled Indian community.
2: Now, uh, just taking a step back, all of this is happening uh, in the context of the broader immigration debate, which is largely focused on asylum and illegal border crossings. Calls for you know, so-called comprehensive immigration reform are pretty common from members of both parties. Uh, but do they mean the same thing when they use that phrase?
3: It, you know, it, it's really funny. I, I think the phrase just kind of evolves from party to party, from Congress to Congress. Uh, back in 2013, the Senate passed a an actual, what, a comprehensive immigration reform bill. It, it included everything in the kitchen sink, and then it died in the House. Now, when members of Congress mention comprehensive immigration reform. I think they're talking about something a little bit more small scale, but it would be some combination of something touching on legal immigration and or the undocumented population plus some kind of immigration enforcement and or border security. So I think that's kind of the definition of the term that Congress is working with right now.
0: Yeah, it is a bit of a cipher. term at this point it's what it's whatever your priorities are are included in comprehensive immigration reform and that's true of of both parties so for for democrats you want to see solutions for the daca population uh, deferred action for childhood arrivals those who arrived here illegally as children Uh, for those on the right they want to see more enforcement and even reductions in the number of immigrants who are allowed to come to the country legally so it, it really does change
1: Last year, there was a series of votes to overhaul the immigration system, generally pairing changes uh, with provisions from the DREAM Act. They all failed. What were some of those ideas, and do you think we'll see them see that effort come back?
0: I, I don't think it'll come back this year. Probably, especially with the limited amount of time they have, and then next year you have an election, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether they do come back. Some of the ideas were uh, changes to the legal immigration system. You saw nods toward President Trump's preferred merit-based system. You you saw different levels of the DREAM Act, which would help the DACA population. You had some with a pathway to citizenship, some with just letting them stay here without being worried about deportation, but no pathway to citizenship, and even one that was just a three-year extension of the DACA program.
3: The, the only um, potential wrinkle in whether Congress takes this up again is the Supreme Court is going to be hearing the DACA cases in the fall. They've scheduled the argument for November. Um, it's hard to say when the actual opinion might come out. But if the Supreme Court does say that the DACA program is unconstitutional, then you're probably going to see Democrats make a big push to get some kind of DREAM Act legislation moving again
0: and the house did pass the the dream and promise act uh, earlier this year which would provide a pathway to citizenship for dreamers recipients of daca and actually even a broader population than than just daca really anyone who arrived here as a child who who meets the the general requirements on education, work history, criminal history, would have a pathway to citizenship. And it also includes the Promise Act, which uh, provides a pathway to citizenship for recipients of TPS, temporary protected status, which protects those who come from areas that uh, have experienced natural disaster or or government collapse uh, so that they don't have to go through the asylum system. It's kind of a, a specialized program just for natives of those kinds of countries.
1: And, um, you know, those issues aside, there's obviously the crisis occurring right now at the border that's been taking up a lot of attention of members of Congress and and the administration. And we just had that bill to provide more funding, but that was not without some controversy either. So it seems like um, those issues would need to be addressed in any immigration package as well.
0: Absolutely.
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly. I, I would say that nothing is going to pass without something addressing the border in that package. Um, that was one of the things that was considered when the House and Senate were taking up the DACA Dream Act issue before. I, I don't see any, any action on, on the Dream Act or even legal immigration probably without some, some kind of nod toward border security or asylum or you know even ICE detention beds, that kind of thing.
0: It's going to be a really tough negotiation. Because the House is in Democratic control and limiting asylum and limiting immigration is not going to it's not going to go anywhere in the House. But dramatically expanding it won't go anywhere with the White House or or the Senate. So you're going to have to find a way to get the the border under control that works for members of both parties. And that's that's a tightrope that hasn't been walked yet.
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly not yet. What I keep hearing from everyone, at least on the, the DACA issue, is members of both parties they don't want to be caught in this political trap where the daca population if that program ends they start getting deported and that that's just going to be a political mess so i think if that happens then somebody's going to figure out a way to work some of this out it's they're not going to be able to survive letting that happen in their districts
2: Thanks. Uh, Laura Francis covers employment-based immigration for Bloomberg Law, and Adam Taylor is a legislative analyst with Bloomberg Government. Thank you for joining us. Thanks.
1: Thank you. That's our show. We will talk to you again next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg Government at about.bgov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at bgov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Enzalada is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. Hey, I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem. This is the largest managed pollination event on earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat from pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious diseases.
2: It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid. You just hope somebody's home.
0: If you're interested in bees, too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.